here we go. The training world is full of technical editing courses that don't teach the high-end creativity that viewers expect. Inside the Edit was created specifically to teach you every single creative skill you'll ever need to mesmerize your audience. Hello, dear friends, and welcome back to another episode of Once Upon a Timeline, the official podcast of Inside the Edit. Thank you once again for taking the time out of your busy week to join me, Paddy Bird, to discuss the art of editing. I started this podcast as a kind of break from the absolute tidal wave of content out there that is focused on the technical side of editing. It's just so much software, workflows, shortcut keys, codecs, pull-down menus, preferences, interfaces. The list is endless. And that, to me, is less than 1% of editing. That's like endlessly discussing the paintbrush and not the painting. In my opinion, it's time for a change. It's time to discuss the art form and more specifically, what creative skills you actually need to get directors and producers to employ you. Because it sure as hell ain't your ability to just memorize software. So, what have we got in store for today's show that can help you on that journey to becoming a powerful creative editor? Well, I think this week's subject is yet another fascinating technique that we can steal, sorry, let me rephrase that, pay homage to, (laughs) from screenwriting. It's a mindset that has really helped me in shaping our decision-making process when beginning to craft a sequence. And so I'm super excited to talk it through with you. But before we get started, just a quick word to remind you that we have our next epic half-day live webinar tomorrow at 3 p.m. London time. That's Saturday, the 20th of February. I'm going to teach you all of the essential creative skills around picture cutting. We're going to study everything from shot flow to pictorial arcs to visual grammar And immediately, you'll see your sequences shoot up in quality after applying these elite-level creative techniques. Each of our live boot camps is four hours long, and it only costs £99. Of course, the best thing is that if you're already a member of Inside the Edit, you can get up to 50% off. Head on over to the bootcamp page at insidetheedit.com to book your spot. I will see you there front and center for a massive dive into high-end picture cutting techniques. And we've just got a few spaces left on the two-week taster for this year's master's degree in creative editing. If you like the idea of studying our craft with me for a whole year starting this October, You can dip your toe in for a fortnight in April and it's absolutely free. Just go over to the master's degree page at insidetheedit.com to book your spot. But hurry, there's only a few left. 
Okay, it's time for the main event. This week's creative discussion. The power of backstory. As regular listeners will know, I'm a really big fan of grabbing and reusing concepts from pretty much anywhere, really, and then applying them to editing. Over the decades, this has sharpened my perception about this beautiful art form of ours to an enormous degree and really helped me communicate it to others. You know, in my mind, if you're studying something that is highly complex, um, that is made up of many different moving parts, say, for example, the art of editing, I personally find it best to look at it from as many different angles as is humanly possible in order to master it. You know, it's kind of like studying a statue or, you know, a piece of architecture to see how it was designed. We can look at something from all directions, from 360 degrees, and it gradually reveals its magic and its secrets in the way it was constructed. You know, every nuance, every curve, every straight line, whatever three-dimensional object we're studying becomes more familiar to us if we look at it in a myriad of different ways. As I said on last week's show, Studying editing through the lens of non-related fields is such an enjoyable and fulfilling enterprise for me, especially when trying to communicate what we do to people who aren't in film or television. But, of course, studying editing through the lens of other art forms within film and television feels just a lot more like home. And if we were to choose one other art form in filmmaking that is the most similar to ours, one that we can repeatedly borrow and steal from, I would have to say that that art form would be screenwriting. There are a whole host of similarities we share with our screenwriting cousins, from the design of the narrative, to the structure, to the characterization, to the meticulous plotting of the emotions throughout our films. There is tons of crossover between our two art forms. To be honest, one of the greatest decisions I made in my editing career was to read all of the classic screenwriting gurus like Sid Field and Robert McKee and people like that and then go and write a bunch of screenplays. It was here I really learned and understood the journey throughout a film, no matter how long the duration. You know, how to craft a narrative, how to create and keep the tentacles of our storylines active and designed at the exact right points throughout a long-form project. You know, if you go on any screenwriting course or degree or read any of the big books on screenwriting, you do get a lot of variation in what each screenwriting teacher thinks are, you know, important. But of course, there are many similarities in the procedures that they recommend. Most of them say that you should always start with an elevator pitch, sum up the film in the 30 seconds it takes to ride up in an elevator if you were lucky enough to corner a studio exec on their way to their room in a busy hotel at the Cannes Film Festival. It's pure summarization that is intended to draw someone into the story right off the bat. Once you've got that nailed, you'll want to expand it into a one-page outline, so many of the gurus say, a more detailed version of what happens and who's in it. 
After that, you'll need to write your treatment, which is basically a shortened version of your film and can be anywhere up to 30 pages long. These tools are really handy for us editors to try out, especially if we're keen on getting into drama editing. And there are many more that are very useful in sharpening our skills at telling longer form stories. But one that always stuck out for me, that I continuously go back to when beginning to cut a scene, is character backstory. Now, I remember back when I was first practicing screenwriting, I would want to jump right in and start to write the script with minimal planning. Pretty much the same thing happened when I first jumped onto an edit system and wanted to just start cutting and see beautiful sequences emerge on my timeline. But the screenwriting gurus were always adamant, do your prep. And character backstory was definitely a big part of that. Character backstory is a kind of creative exercise that gets you to start detailing who each of the characters in the film are and what they've been through in their life, what makes them them. It's everything from the big macro thoughts like their childhood and their motivations in life and how they feel about, you know, big things. But it's also all of the tiny elements that make up a person from the way they dress to the way they move to the way they talk, etc., etc. It paints a picture in the writer's mind of who these people are and provides a framework for not only themselves on the writing journey, but later for the director, the producers, and of course, the actors. Writers can inhabit their characters as they write, if they've done a backstory. You know, they can decide on their inner state, what the character wants at any one point of time, you know, how they feel, what they say, and how they respond to differing events. That framework is an essential part in painting the portrait of a character, especially in the scripted genres. And it, of course, provides the blueprint for a thousand other creative choices from the other creative departments. The costume designer will read what the screenwriter has written and paint their picture of the characters in what they wear. The cinematographer will paint their picture with light and colour and framing and camera movement and things like that, based on what is going on with the character, what is going on with the action in this particular scene, and the narrative and, you know, the destination of the scene. But seeing its amazing uses, I also commandeered it in the main non-scripted long-form genres of documentary entertainment and reality TV and it's always turned out to be really useful. However, I've done it with a slight twist which is not completely the same as how a screenwriter would use it. My variation, I guess it's more of a kind of emotional yardstick or barometer. I use character backstory as a way to determine the emotional state of a character or even a narrative element or story tentacle going into a scene assembly when I start cutting it. Kind of like taking stock of the emotions and the narrative at every single place on the timeline. Let me give you an example. Let's say I'm halfway through assembling a documentary and I'm cutting a scene where some big reaction to an event is happening. As usual, I look at the raw footage on its own merits 
seeing what we have and what we don't have. I'd study the reactions and the dialogue and the emotions and the body language and all the kind of usual elements. I'd get to know intimately what was possible and how far I'd have to go to craft it. You know, is this a long and complex assembly full of reordering and piecing together elements from a huge range of sync or B-roll? Or is this thing easy and it'll kind of cut itself? Of course, the pendulum swings both ways out there in the pro world and on a regular basis. Some scenes are difficult and some scenes are pretty easy. But these are just a few of the fundamentals when approaching a scene in non-scripted. Now, after all this preliminary work and observation has been done, it's a really good idea to jump out and view the scene from a macro perspective and its position in the larger whole. This, of course, serves multiple purposes, like designing the rhythm of the film, the overall logic in the film, and how that influences things like pacing and music choices. Also, shooting out to the macro view allows us to chart each character's journey, which is an absolutely vital skill to have if we want to tell stories over a longer period of time. If we're serious about making films that require us to keep an audience glued to the screen for at least an hour, then designing the journey of each character in non-scripted is not just a good idea, it's essential. No one is going to hire us without that skill. We'll expand this a bit more in a minute. So in our imaginary documentary assembly scene, after I've studied the micro and the macro, but before I start cutting, I do a mini character backstory. I literally play it out in my head as I watch the raw footage. So what does this actually look like? What, is it, what does it actually mean? I look at the last time we saw this character and what their emotional state was. I ask myself a ton of related questions like, what have they just been through in the previous scenes? What are they expecting now? How do I want them to react to what's going to happen or what has just happened? What is coming up in the next scene? And a whole host of other questions. I use character backstory, and I guess you could say I also use character forward story to chart exactly where they are at every single point of the film, up and down the timeline. I literally tell myself that X has just experienced Y and give a whole spiel to myself about where they are internally. This is pure screenwriting technique, hijacked and adapted to long-form editing. Now, apart from the obvious benefits, which I won't belabor, like narrative cohesion, which is only a fancy way of saying, does this simply make plain old-fashioned sense to an audience? You know, it has some other great benefits if we do jump in and quickly tell ourselves a character's backstory at the start of every single scene assembly. Let's go through a couple of them. Firstly, it drives the selection process in a massively beneficial way. If we've summarized where a character is at on their journey and what they are about to go through, if we've also identified their emotional state right now, then we've deliberately created a whole bunch of narrative filters to the selection of specific shots or emotional reactions from the character out of the raw footage. Quite simply, if we go and watch in the raw footage after applying these mental filters, 
And if we ask ourselves, does this fit in with where the character is going and where they've been, then we leave it in. If it doesn't, and it's contradictory to where the character is, if it stands out a mile based on their character backstory, then we cut it out. For example, let's say the last time we saw Alexandra in the film, a few scenes ago, she was really upset and nervous about something that was just about to happen. Now, in the next scene she appears in, she seems really happy in a lot of the footage. We've now got a missing part of the character's journey in our film. It's going to look weird to an audience as the last time they saw her, she was in a completely different emotional state. When we think about character journey, we need to be constantly considering two important factors in the selection process. Has everything been explained to the viewer and has everything been resolved? In this case, we hadn't resolved or explained why Alexandra has had a complete mood change and so it would just confuse our viewers. In that selection process for the next scene, we are going to want to explain and resolve. Of course, this is a crude example and most of the design in long form is a lot more subtle than this, but you get the point. We're building narrative bridges from one scene to another with our character's journey, emotional state and a ton of other narrative considerations. And therefore, we'll be looking to select elements within the rushes that help this weaving process happen in neat and succinct ways. We'll need to choose body language or sync or emotional reactions or whatever is needed from Alexandra to fill in the gaps for the audience. And this is how it shapes our selection process in the raw footage for non-scripted. Secondly, it allows us to shape each individual's character over a long period of time. We get to know the character. We get to decide how we're going to paint the portrait for the audience, how we're going to segment and unpack their journey scene by scene and for maximum effect. But most importantly, if we've done a character back and forward story at each point in our minds, we really get to understand how each of these characters can be woven together in the most impressive, dramatic, engaging and sophisticated way. That skill and the level to which it's carried out will be one of the major factors that determine the success of our long-form career. No joke. Of course, none of these things are taught in film schools or edit training centers. I've never even seen these things written down before in the editing world, which is why I source them from screenwriting. And this was one of the major motivations to write the Inside the Edit course and the Once Upon a Timeline podcast to provide what was actually needed for a career in editing. Character backstory, like so many high-end creative processes, is also a mindset that can be adapted for multiple uses that are not specifically restricted to an individual character's journey. I've used them to craft narratives in political documentaries, events in historical films, or even reality TV. Anywhere where I've got complex and multi-strand elements that need 100% comprehension by the audience. These are part of the high-end principles around arcing and plotting interesting journeys for our viewers. And they are the foundations of how to tell long stories on a timeline. 
If it is your dream to work in longer form filmmaking, then I would urge you to start practicing these techniques and concepts. Go out and read the top five screenwriting books and experiment with writing. Go and analyze your favorite docs and dramas and study how the character's journey evolves and resolves. It really is worth its weight in gold and prepares the mind for how to construct feature-length films in really engaging ways. The long-form directors and producers want us for our ability to weave the hundreds of narrative elements together into a cohesive whole on top of all of the stylizational cutting patterns and pacing skills and things like that that we also have to master. As a pro editor, the more weapons we have in our creative armory, the more employable we are. Become an encyclopedia for this beautiful art form and the clients will be lining up around the block to work with you. I wish you the very best of luck on your journey. I hope you've enjoyed this week's creative discussion, dear friends. It's now time for Ask Paddy. And we got a great question this week from Alice in Hertfordshire here in the UK. She's asking, on average, how many variations of each scene will you show to the director? Thank you, Alice. That is a very good question that I'm sure many listeners would like to talk through. Okay, how many sequences do we show the client? Is one enough? Should we give them loads? Is there a maximum amount? Well, as usual, it's not really simple, but let's break down the factors at play. So as you know, I often love to start at the end and ask questions from there. What is the goal? What is the desired outcome? Well, let's break it down. I think there's a few really interesting ones in this department of creative editing. First, we want to test out various potential ways to cut any one scene or sequence. Now, this could include different structures, different music, uh, different pacing, even different beginnings and endings. As usual, in creative editing, the list is pretty much endless. Now, this particular goal is to see which factors or a combination of differing factors that we've cut together on the timeline are the best way to go from a creative perspective. What does the film need? A high-end editor can pre-visualize the hell out of a lot of elements before even touching the mouse and keyboard. But at the end of the day, the timeline is the truth. We never really know 100% how something is going to turn out until we see it and we feel it. Creating more than one version allows us to make a comparison and see it in action. And it's easier to decide which way to go if we've seen both options. Secondly, it's also dependent on the issues at hand within the sequence or the scene or the act or the film or whatever we're cutting, depending on what type of genre and the duration we're cutting. How many issues are there? What type of issues are there? Are we wrestling with really complex issues like deciding the emotional tone or journalistic order of the facts in a documentary scene or news report? Or maybe it's more stylizational, like particular shot selections or trying out different music tracks in a sports or fashion promo for online content. Of course, it could be anything. 
But each of these different types of issues will require us to compare and solve the problems at hand. And of course, each of them are done for very different reasons. Many times in long form, we hit a fork in the road where we have to really evaluate and decide what narrative path we're going to go down. And many times, it's not as simple as just two choices. In a drama, it may be the way we end a scene on a particular tense moment, and that has a direct effect on how we start the next scene. Or in, say, a reality TV show, we may want to change the tone completely from light-hearted to emotional at a certain juncture, but the main characters say opposing lines of thought, and we have to choose which one to side with. Again, all of these options will require us to have multiple versions of a sequence or scene to sit down and talk through with our director. Many times, it's the discussion after seeing the different possibilities that is the most fruitful and shows the path that we must go down. And we certainly wouldn't be able to do that with just one version of the sequence. I think a third factor at play is our timescale and deadlines. You know, in the more faster-moving genres like news, where a lot of it is pre-scripted and thought out beforehand because of the time factors, the likelihood of producing a high amount of variations and spending time going through them all with the producer is pretty low. There just isn't the time. The same might be considered with some branded content and shorter promos for online, where it's all about the speed at which everything is turned over, as there's so much content to get through and out in front of the viewer. Whereas a documentary or a drama, where we usually have months to work on it, and where the differing possibilities in the structure of the film are enormous, then there is definitely much more time for multiple sequences. To be fair, they actually kind of expect them. Of course, there are always anomalies. Many forms of commercials are short form and quick turnaround, but it's in the DNA of that actual genre to consistently provide variations for the client, especially when they are selling products. You get marketing people involved. They want to know absolutely every possible variation. Ask certain high-end commercials editors and they will tell you that multiple variations of any sequences are standard. But the final and probably the most important factor from a career point of view is that we really want to make ourselves look good in the eyes of our director. If we go above and beyond for them, and show a real drive to make this film, no matter what the duration, the absolute best it can be, the more we'll gain a reputation for excellence. And in our art form, excellence, quite simply, means being sought after by clients. You know, if you've got a thousand directors in a room and said, hands up who wants to use an editor who does the bare minimum to get the job done, not one of them would put their hand up. And then if you said, hands up who wants an editor who goes above and beyond and will stop at nothing to make your film as good as it can be, boom, <laughs> you'll never seen a thousand hands go up so quickly. So the bottom line for me always is, if we have the time within the schedule and we're not going to miss a deadline, it is always impressive to a client to give at least two versions of a sequence if we feel it's needed. 
We kill several birds with one stone. We get to make a detailed comparison of the factors that are changing between each one. We get to evaluate the knock-on effects up and down the timeline, especially in non-form. And most importantly, we get to give off a perception that we are totally and utterly committed to exploring every single possibility in making this film the very best it can be. Our goal is to make beautifully edited films, but also to maximize our employability. And this is one of the key things that will help us do just that. I hope this answers your question, Alice, and thank you very much for getting in touch. If there's a question you like answered about any aspect of creative editing, just shoot me an email to podcast at insidetheedit.com and I will answer it on a future show. Now, if you'd like to learn the actual high-end editing techniques used by the pros, come and join us at Inside the Edit. We are the industry's only professional-level creative editing course. We steer way clear of anything to do with software or the buttons or all the tech stuff that everyone else teaches. We are only interested and we only teach the art of editing. We're trusted by thousands of editors around the world and many of the industry's biggest broadcasters and production companies who use our course. Learn at your own pace with over 100 tutorials at InsideTheEdit.com. Now, I want to give a massive shout out on the show to ACE editor and good friend of Inside the Edit, Will Zniderik. He was a guest on the show last year where he came on and talked about his Oscar-nominated documentary, Winter on Fire. Well, on March the 1st, Will's new film goes live on Netflix. Biggie, I Got a Story to Tell is the massive new documentary about the notorious B.I.G.'s rise to the top of the rap game in the 1990s. It is the only officially sanctioned film on Biggie Smalls, and if our buddy will cut it, you know it's going to be stunningly edited. Be sure to watch that on March the 1st on Netflix. The trailer looks awesome. Don't forget it's not too late, dear friends, to book your place on this month's live webinar. For a full half day tomorrow, Saturday the 20th of February, we will be going through tons of sequences, picture cutting techniques and creative concepts that will elevate your skills and make your projects have that sophisticated visual flair. You can book your place over on the bootcamp page on our site. And if you can't make the live recording, you get two whole weeks to watch it. Also, our friends over at Universal Production Music always deserve a massive shout out as well for supplying every single music track for Once Upon a Timeline. If you like the sound of anything you've heard on this week's show and you think it would be perfect for something you're cutting right now, as usual, we've listed them all with links on this episode's unique podcast page over at InsideTheEdit.com. You can go and audition them directly on Universal's site and license them for your project.
please don't forget to share this podcast with friends and colleagues if you like it. And if you really like it and have a spare 30 seconds, we'd really appreciate a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. To be the first to hear all things inside the edit, do follow us on the usual socials, Instagram, Twitter or Facebook. It's the first place we post all of our news, latest releases and upcoming events. That is a wrap, dear friends. Thank you for joining me on this week's show. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Have a fantastic weekend, and I will see you very soon on another episode of Once Upon a Timeline. Stay cool, stay safe, and stay cutting.